What's interesting, though, is mm -hmm. that the gospel is a challenge to both the left and the right. And if the gospel that you embrace or preach or believe is ever just a challenge to those people on the other side, that tells me something's a little out of whack. Because here come yeah. these wealthy, educated, wise uh, magi of the upper, upper crust class of Babylonians, Parthians, and they're on the scene as well. And so, yeah, there's a good message in the gospel is for the weak and the lowly and the outcast. Uh, but some of us need to hear the other half of that. It's also for those rich people too. And whoever it is that you think that the gospel is not really for them, that I think mm -hmm. is, is it's a, the, the Christmas story is a check on that, on that nation in our heart to write yeah. certain people off. Welcome back, friends. Oh man, can you believe we are in our last week of Advent? I cannot believe um, that December's gone by so quickly and uh, we're this far. Um, Christmas is coming up. Um, it has been such a unique season, a good season. Um, and I hope you've all enjoyed your last week of microchurch. And I cannot wait to see you again um, and join you in person so soon. Um, so this will be our last Instagram Live for the year. Um, and it feels wild that we have done about five months of these. So thank you for those of you who have followed along um, and tuned in. Um, they've really blessed and encouraged me um, and challenged me quite a lot. So we do have most of these um, on the podcast to go back and listen to um, in case you've missed any. Um, they're really great content from our different teachers. So maybe, you know, after Christmas calms down, go back um, and check those out. So uh, this week, to wrap up our Advent series, we are talking with Bob about candle number four, um, the wise men, worship, and faith. Um, on Sunday, Bob talked about Christmas being the most offensive holiday because it tells us something that none of us want to hear um, that we need a savior. He talked about change and the reality of God with us at Christmas that asks us to look inside ourselves and ask ourselves, what or whom do we worship? Um, and we're going to get into that today. So let's see. Not 100% All right. Success. Hey. How's How are you? Doing well. Thanks for joining no me problem. today. <laughs> Great. Um, all right. So we're going to launch in. Um, before we get really, I, um, I'm excited mm -hmm. to talk to you all about like worship 
um, what that actually like looks like for us today. But before we get into that, um, random question yeah. that I want us to talk about just a little. Um, so you had mentioned like in passing that Daniel yeah. was a, was a magi. Somehow that was a new fact for me. I don't know a whole lot about Daniel outside of the like Daniel Einstein bit. Um, so I'd love to like real quick hear you talk a little bit about like, can you tell the story of like how Daniel well, became a Magi? What was that about? How does that connect? the Christmas story? <laughs> You're doing great. Knocked over a ton of stuff. <laughs> I had to go let the dog in because he was parked in. All right. So yeah, if you read the beginning of Daniel, you know, he gets he and his friends get taken as a uh, as captives to Babylon. And uh, mm -hmm. they go through the whole uh, diet thing where they say, just give us water and vegetables instead of the wine and the and all the um, meats and everything that the king wants to give us. And side note, if you try to do the Daniel fast or some kind of diet based on Daniel, you're missing the whole point. The point wasn't that his, the diet they were asking for was better or more nutritious. It was that God miraculously preserved them on nothing but vegetables and water <laughs> and made them healthy and strong. So it is not a weight loss uh, guide, the book of Daniel at all. But, uh, you know, then the, the king has this dream and he demands that his wise men, his magi, his magicians and uh, philosophers and uh, interpreters of dreams, that they not only interpret his dream, but they tell him his dream. And that's how he's going to that's how he's going to determine mm. whether or not they really know what they're doing. And nobody can do it until Daniel comes along. And when Daniel does this, he tells the king his dream, he interprets it. Uh, king Nebuchadnezzar bows down and worships God, and he makes Daniel head of the province of Babylon. Let me see, what does it say? The, the king appointed Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon, as well as chief over all his wise men. So Daniel was, was hmm. uh, under different kings. He was one of these wise men, one of these magis. And uh, at least under Nebuchadnezzar, he was the chief of them. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah, I somehow just like yeah. missed that in all my life. I don't know. I still like we yeah. don't talk about Daniel yeah. a whole lot in the world. Anyways... Thank you. Thanks for that. Um, yeah. Always love learning more. All right. So we'll pivot now um, okay. to talk about worship a little. So to start, um, worship gets, mm -hmm. the word worship gets yeah. thrown around a lot uh, in Christian circles where you end up being like, okay, but like what, what does that even mean? Um, you know, like we say the word, but there's not a whole lot of meaning attached to it. Um, because I think it can, people think about it differently depending on who you are. So I would say for you, how do you define worship? Um, and what has your own journey Ooh, with worship question. looked like? Um, you know, 
whenever everyone preaches a sermon on worship, they always have to mention that it comes from the, it's something like the Middle English worship. It's recognizing the worth of something. But really, I think what worship is in its essence, it is uh, placing our hearts on something, like making it the thing, the ultimate thing in our life, raising the worth of something so high, everything else pales in comparison. Mm -hmm. And so we do that in a number of different ways. We worship um, as we pray, as we recognize God for who he is. We, we serve in worship. Liturgy literally means the work of the people. It is the, the liturgy is us doing these works of, of worshipful service to God. Um, so, I, you know, there's, there's singing, of course, and the reason why I love the singing part of worship is because I think music and singing unlocks a part of our brain that, and our emotions that the spoken word does not. And so when we are raising the worth of God in our lives in musical worship, I think we are doing it in a unique way that um, is often difficult to do in, in everyday life. And so, yeah, it seems kind of, I think to a lot of people, it seems weird that we would sing, but, you know, like for the average person, where do you sing? Like, well, I guess you might sing the Star Spangled Banner or take me out to the ballpark when you go to a ball game. Uh, you might have <laughs> right. some kind of, interesting sing-along at some point in your life but singing isn't necessarily you know aside from the karaoke uh isn't really a part of everyday life but we do it week after right or like driving yeah. around driving around yes your car not do you do not, that not like all the time yeah Singing the you sing car yeah. Are you pretty good? yeah i'm nice. a big i'm a big car nice. singer so uh, my journey with worship, actually, it, it's kind of interesting. I, um, you know, I grew up in a fairly standard Baptist church in the, uh, you know, I, the main part of my growing up life was in the 80s, so the 70s, the 80s. And we sang hymns from a hymn book, which I loved. Um, one of my favorite things was that on Sunday nights, we would, um, we would have a Sunday evening service. Nobody really has those anymore, but you know, you'd go in the morning and then, and then uh, a third of you would come back in the evening. And I liked going because the songs in the evening, they would take requests. And in our particular hymn book, there was a song by a guy named Larry Norman. Larry Norman, if you don't know, was a rock star in the 60s who became a Christian and walked away from a major label deal. And he, in fact, became the first Christian rock artist, right? Fascinating story. You should look it up. But he wrote yeah. this song... Uh, called I Wish We'd All Been Ready. And it's a super depressing minor key song about 
the basically um, if this is your tradition, kind of the the tribulation, the rapture tribulation millennium view of the end times, right? And so it's lines like the uh, the demons dined, the days grew cold. A piece of bread would buy a bag of gold. I wish we'd all been ready. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Oh my gosh. I know. And like I would ask for that Sunday, Sunday evening after Sunday evening, and and they could never <laughs> say no, but they they often would say, "Okay, we'll do one verse." <laughs> anyway, so you know, fairly <laughs> traditional. Somewhere in high school, uh, one of our youth leaders started taking us um, to uh, the Sunday morning services at a Calvary Chapel spin called Maranatha Chapel. And that mm -hmm. was where I first kind of encountered the the praise and worship kind of, you know, the full band and, and mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. singing uh, a little bit more free form, you know, um, go back and do the first verse. And I mean, it wasn't, it, it was, it, it was much more spontaneous than we're going to sing this hymn verses one, three, and Yeah. And there's a little key yeah, change yeah. before the fifth yeah. verse. <laughs> the key change. It's, it's an essential part of 80s mm -hmm. music. Um, yeah. I've but that's where I really started getting into worship, um, started leading, um, eventually became um, a worship leader, a worship pastor. Um, <laughs> but one thing I noticed, after I planted my own church, um, and we, we were, we planted a church in a pub. So we were kind of iconoclasts by nature, you know, trying to do things differently, yeah. trying to do things new. One of the things that, uh, it, it was kind of a, growing up as a Baptist, you would sing songs written by other people and only pray prayers that were extemporaneous that, from you. One of the things that we wanted to do was mm. pray more prayers that were written by others in church history and sing songs that were mm. written in our community. And so, yeah, and so we, mm. we had cool. we had a lot of, of original music. And uh, one time we went down to San Diego, there used to be this thing called the National Pastors Convention. And uh, it was a great time. You'd go and there'd be 5,000 ministry leaders in this convention center. Um, mm -hmm. But they would always have worship. And it was very, for the time, for the early 90s, it was very standard evangelical worship. Uh, not the 90s, mm -hmm. I should say, the early 2000s. We had planted this church in 2004 and you know, we'd go to this convention and it wasn't too long before I started getting a little snooty about it, a little snobby, you know, because we're, we're, we're writing and worshiping with our own music. We had a very different vibe. There were no uh, um, laser lights or smoke machines and our band would sit. They were all seated kind of in a half circle. You know, we wouldn't have full drums. We'd have either a djembe or a cajon. It was very kind of enter the worship circle kind of vibe. And that, that was us and it worked for us.
but we, you know, we'd go to this National Pastors Convention and there'd be these lights and uh, smoke machines and, you know, and, and people would use their worship leader voice, which is when you go like this, uh, you know, you're singing and then you pitch up and you say, I feel the presence of God here today. We're going to worship from the north, the south, the yeah. east, the west. You know, and they would do the worship leader voice. And we were, you know, we were singing Shine, Jesus, Shine. And I would sit there and my inner critic would come out. And one day God just stopped me short uh, during the worship time there and said, you know, um, look, around. people are worshiping me. <laughs> it's not your preferred mm -hmm. style, um, but that's okay. You need to see this like a cross-cultural experience now. Um, it was no mm -hmm. longer my native language of worship, um, but in the same way that I've been to Haiti, I've been to Mexico, I've been in worship settings where I didn't understand a word they were saying, and certainly the music was very foreign, and been able to enter it on some level as a as an experience of other people worship worshiping and worshiping along and since then i think since that moment uh, i've i've opted out of the worship wars there's not a better you know a better style yeah. or a better way to do it it's never the way that i exactly would like it and that's okay um because it's not about me and that's the whole Point. So that's a journey in worship. Yeah. yeah. Sorry if that was too long. Yeah. No, it was not too long. That's great. Um, yeah, it's making me so. Uh, I've been thinking since you talked on Sunday. Uh, you sort of compared. Um, the response of the shepherds and like Mary and Joseph, um, like with the Magi yeah. who also came and worshipped. I, I, I want to pause there for a minute and you were sort of getting at it, but like, I, I think it's such a vital piece of, uh, like Christianity that we miss. Um, because like, so like last week, Andrew and I talked about how so much of the Christmas story and the players in the Christmas story are like, like marginalized, lowly, poor, unexpected. Um, but the Magi were sort of not that. Um, and however, there's still like the unity between all the players in the Christmas story because yeah. their response of worship is the same, um, which I think is really interesting. So I would love to like hear you talk about that a little bit. Like what can we learn from that? And like what, what can that look like in, in our cultural moment now uh, when we're like, especially in the American church, when we're so divided about everything, um, but like especially like including race and class, like they yeah. would have been in yeah, Jesus' exactly. day also. Um, so yeah, it is interesting that the angels, that the Holy Spirit comes to Mary, uh, this young, probably lower middle class, if there was such a thing, but certainly not mm -hmm. rich, mm -hmm. not wealthy, uh, young girl, the shepherds, you know, we've all heard about the their social standing. Um, yeah, the way Jesus comes into the world is a challenge. Um, 
And I think a very good message mm -hmm. to hear is that God has a place in his heart and his plan for the poor, the lowly, the marginalized. And I think that, um, <laughs> I think that uh, <laughs> that is a message that much of the American church needs to hear. Now, what's interesting though, is mm -hmm. that the gospel is a challenge to both the left and the right. And if the gospel that you embrace or preach or believe is ever just a challenge to those people on the other side, that tells me something's a little out of whack. Mm -hmm. Because here come yeah. these wealthy, educated, wise uh, magi of the upper, upper crust class of Babylonians, Parthians, and they're on the scene as well. And so, yeah, there's a good message in the gospel is for the weak and the lowly and the outcast. Uh, but some of us need to hear the other half of that. It's also for those rich people too. And whoever it is that you think that the gospel is not really for them, that I think mm -hmm. is is it's a ch the the Christmas story is a check on that on that nation in our heart to write yeah. certain people off, and there's no doubt there's a mm -hmm. huge narrative throughout Scripture that God is for the poor, God is for the humble, uh, but there's enough in there to say that uh, yeah, it may be harder for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than a rich person to get into heaven, but there's a lot of rich people in the in the narrative of Scripture. Uh, who uh, mm -hmm. they're they're doing okay with God, you know? Yeah. 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 Did I? Mm. Question? Yeah. I think yeah. I, yeah. So good. Yeah. Mhm. Mm mhm. Mm yeah. It's that whole. It's for everybody, even when you're like, oh yeah. man, I just don't. Feels hard. Feels really hard. It, but I think it's you know, the way it's the way. Can I tell a short story? Not easy. So, um, yeah. I, have you ever read The Shack? Okay. okay. Very, no, but I've heard of yeah, it. Yeah, very controversial I, like, I book know. at the time because of the way that it pictured God. It, it, my conclusion was that it was unorthodox, but not heretical. It was, you know, it had some theological problems, but it, it was fine. Uh, I got to be on a in in portland i got to be on opb is the the npr in in portland you know the national public radio uh, there's a local show on opb yeah and myself and paul um william paul young is that his name paul william young i always get those mixed up william paul Young. anyway the author of the shack was there and uh we were doing this this interview about church and different things uh, one of the lines in his book is that God is constantly talking about different people and saying, oh, the father is especially fond of him or the father is especially fond of her. And you realize that uh, what God is, is saying is the same thing about everyone, that God is especially fond of them. Well, during this, yeah. this show, there was a, a, a caller who called in and because this book was so controversial at the time and people were just ripping it apart and this woman 
was criticizing uh, Paul Young and his work and telling him he was not a Christian and was going to go to hell and, and everything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, when we took a break, I leaned over to him and I said, wow, you, you had a heresy hunter there. She was really going mm -hmm. after you. And I thought, you know, I'm trying to connect with this famous author, you know, kind of a little bit. And, <laughs> and um, yeah, he just he just looked over and he said, yeah, well, the father is especially fond of her, too. And I just went, oh, I just got, got oh. I just got legitimately Jesus juked in the best way possible. Like, this guy is. Yeah he is evincing the spirit of Jesus by saying that even the people that uh, he's not necessarily against them, but they're certainly against him. Even they are especially loved by God. And there's something oh, very so Jesus -y and very gospel-y about that. So. Yeah. 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 Oh, I love that. That's really great. All right. Um, so before we go, um, one other like chunk of questions, I'm just going to read, it's sort of, there's a lot of them. It's one of those, sometimes I get to writing questions and they just all like sort of follow each other. So I'm just going to like read a little chunk and okay. you can do whatever you want with them. So uh, you said on Sunday, when I struggle, the answer is not try harder. It's believe the gospel, figure out what yeah. is my idol here. So I guess what I, hear you talk about is like how we do that um how do we start making those shifts um like from realizing where our hearts are fixed incorrectly to like stopping the behavior to pivoting to worshiping god instead um and do you think that like looks different for everybody do you think there are like tenets of worship that like all true hmm. worship should have that, that or do you you know so that's that's the large okay. question. Do with it what uh, you want. Yeah, yeah. Like I said Sunday, and this is certainly not an original thought. Um, like Martin Luther said it, and then Tim Keller has repeated it many times. But you break mm -hmm. any of mm -hmm. the Ten Commandments without first breaking the first. And why it is the first mm -hmm. commandment. You will have no other gods before. Um, yeah. So at, at, at the root of any sin is idolatry. And it may be the sin of, of being so committed to my own comfort, my own pleasure, that I'm willing to do all these other things that are sketchy or off the books. It may be, um, uh, I can't remember if I gave the exact I had to cut a lot from the sermon, um, but it's like if I if I am so committed to uh, this image I have of myself and you believing it, I've made an uh, an idol out of seeming to be in way. It's easy mm -hmm. for me to lie to you when you confront me about something and say, "No, no, I didn't do that." Why am I doing that? Uh, because I have put the idol of self over that of God and um, really exemplifying his character 
in that moment, which is what it means to be in the image of God. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. so I think, I think at whatever issue it is you're struggling with or, or um, behavior that you want to, I mean, we're talking about sin. If it's, if, it's a, if it's a bad habit, like I pick my nose in, in public or, you know, okay, you just do that and sure. it's okay. But if, if it's some kind of sin that, that you're mm -hmm. trying to get past or over, the question becomes, what is so important to me that makes it so hard to put this down? What is, yeah, what has captured my interest, my, yeah, all of it. And how can I begin to value God and his place in my life? Uh, another thing Keller says is, look, everything that you, that you idolize, that you worship will eventually kill you. Like if you seek out pleasure, there are certain ways that that will lead to your inevitable d demise. And maybe not even physically, but emotionally, spiritually. If you serve work, work will demand sacrifice. You will become a workaholic. You will destroy your health. God is not a cosmic narcissist. He doesn't demand our worship because he needs it. Everything he does flows out of love. And so when he says, don't worship anything in front of me, don't worship anything else, he says that because he knows in his love for us that he is the only thing we can set our hearts on that will not, will not ultimately kill us. In fact, he, his son, Jesus, mm -hmm. he is the thing we can set our hearts on that sacrificed himself for us. This, there is no sac further sacrifice needed. So all that to say, um, whatever it is that you're struggling with, um, the answer is not, it's not an issue of willpower. It's, it, it, uh, on some level, it's an issue of, of what is most important, what is at the center of your heart, what are you valuing? It's an issue of worship. And that really simplifies it yeah. down. Uh, the unpacking and living mm -hmm. out of that is there's it's the work of a lifetime um but that's why the gospel believing the gospel isn't what we do in third grade so that we can get a we can get baptized and get the certificate it's the thing we do over and over every day in new ways in new areas for the rest of our lives so um yeah that's all i have to say about that yeah yeah that's great no, and those are, good, those are good questions to, like, get you started, like, really thinking about yeah. what is the thing for me that's, that I'm, yeah, holding yeah. as an idol instead of, instead of God. Cool. All right, well, that's right. a great spot to, to end. Um, thank you so much Always. for that. That was great. Um, Going to be our last. It's our last Instagram live of the year, and it's yeah. a place, great place to send for the year. All right. Well, thank you, Alyssa, and thanks, everybody. Of course. All right. Bye, everybody. We'll see you Thursday for the Christmas show. Bob is going to be doing some really great reading. Um, he's going to have a whole smoking jacket situation. It's going to be awesome. Everyone should come. Take care.
Cool. All right. We'll see you guys. Bye. Thanks, Bob. Thanks again for listening. Make sure to subscribe to get the weekly episodes in your podcast feed. You can find out more on how to get connected with Redemption Hill at redemptionboise.org slash connection, where you can fill out the connect card and start your journey today. For regular encouragement throughout the week, follow us on Instagram at Redemption Boise. We are so glad you're here and are excited to accompany you in your story with God. We hope to see you soon.